everybody and welcome to another episode of Tapas Talkies. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest for today, Fatima Agarkar. Fatima has been an edu leader for the last uh, decade and she has been the founder of three startups. She is a fantastic speaker and orator. She has conducted several trainings, and she is in the who's who list of people in the education sector. Fatima is the founder of Agarkar Center for Excellence, and uh, she was the co-founder of KA Edu Associates. She is skilled in management, leadership development, business development, marketing strategy, and business strategy. She is also the territory head for Mumbai for the APA, that is Association for primary education and research. So welcome, Fatima. It's a pleasure to have you on Tapas Talkies. Thank you, Preeti. I think you've been uh, extremely generous and very kind with your words. Uh, I've enjoyed my conversation when I met you the first time. And I think we connected in a lot of things. Uh, both are very passionate about education, about children. Uh, I think we both have, uh, you know, uh, boys in the same uh, age group. Uh, so there's a lot of mommy talk as well. And uh, I think uh, we've enjoyed uh, what we've experienced in the last, um, you know, 10 years as uh, entrepreneurs ourselves. So excited to be in conversation with you. Fantastic. So great to have you on the show. Uh, like you said, so many conversations that we've had and each time it strikes me as to how level-headed and how uh, how you have the right pulse of whatever is happening across the education spectrum. And so it's fantastic to get your thoughts on a lot of things. The first thing I think is the elephant in the room. It's about education industry in the last year. We have gone through a sea change, I feel, in the way we are uh, presently educating our children. So what do you feel are some of the lessons from last year that the industry should take away? Thank you, you say that, and thank you for calling us an industry because, uh, you know, uh, Hindustan Times actually published uh, all the sectors and all the industries that have been most hit by the pandemic, and education continues to be the top five employer in the country. We have no mention as a sector, and I think if we start thinking of it as a sector, we'll start professionalizing and we'll start putting a lot of accountability. So I think the last year, uh, Preeti, has been a year of extreme reflection. Uh, and I'm gonna answer it in three buckets. I'm gonna talk about the owners, the managers, uh, people who set up schools, private or public, um, and the school leadership. Uh, for them, it's a moment of complete reflection on how they've been communicating with their parent body. Uh, those schools that were transparent, were efficient with their communication, engaged with dialogue, constantly handheld the parents have had no problem. Okay. Those that <clears throat> perhaps kept them at arm's length because you know we have some colonized version of how it should be, uh, that baggage continues, um, have been caught out. So I think the whole communication aspect has to be corporatized. And I think that's a one big takeaway that educators, you cannot shy away from communication good ones um, in terms of good conversations, fun conversations where people are praising you, but also the ones which make you reflect and rethink strategies. This is not uh, a, a battle that you're going to win alone. 
the next 15 to 18 months will test you, but I thinking the next 10 years are going to test you. So unless educators are willing to engage in a partnership with parents, this is going to be an uphill street. So that's the big takeaway for educators. Uh, for parents, uh, a big one, but suddenly those marks don't seem important enough. Suddenly you start reflecting on what you should have actually done and not outsourced it. Uh, and I'm not saying all parents, uh, but I know a lot of parents struggled initially. It was overwhelming, household work, you know, work from home, children, online education. It just seemed like you were in a cave. Imagine if you had thought about streamlining a bit of that earlier on, where instead of parking them into one class, uh, you know, from one class to another, to another, to another, I don't know what sort of head start people are trying to achieve. I mean, parents ask me what classes your son goes to. I said nothing. He comes back from school and he's filling because I want him to have that downtime. No, but you know, what about uh, college applications? He's in grade nine. What about this? What about that? I said, he's in grade nine. He's not in grade 10. Let him still live. So I think parents, a moment of reflection for them as well to say, what's really important? Uh, is learning going to be important or are the, are the grades going to be important? Your grade may still say B, but your child is discussing politics, is talking about science, is talking about research, is telling you how Bitcoin might actually change the way economies are run. That's not going to come in your question paper. So he's never going to face it. What is it that you're looking for? You can't have both. So parents have had to, a lot of reflection to do. And I think that's my big takeaway that there has been a mindset change, refreshing to see. I know you and I uh, feel excited about this, but it, it, it's happening in a way that should have happened pre-pandemic as well. And, and the last bit is the teachers. So, you know, big onus on the teachers, uh, lots of fatigue for them. They've had to shift gears, you know. Preeti, I'm going to sheepishly say this in the education space. Uh, in all the conferences, we spoke about a volatile world. We spoke about, you know, technology overcoming us and all of that. Yet, there was no capacity built. Teachers were not trained. Teachers resisted technology. I know teachers who would still do lesson plans on paper and all the changes meant they had to make that effort to rewrite. Suddenly Google Sheets are working beautifully. It was that mindset change that when you didn't have a choice, you embraced it. I wish it had been done pre-pandemic because it could have been a bit more seamless for a lot of uh, the teachers. Uh, all in all, the big takeaways are communicate, engage, partnerships, uh, let's lower certain expectations um, as parents. Uh, and then, you know what? It'll change the way the teachers teach as well. Because the expectation is an optimization of marks, there is that tendency then to optimize marks. I mean, come on. It, you know, we're, we're living in a, a very realistic environment. Uh, as a mom, I never look at the mark sheet, but I'm probably in the minority like you, Preeti. I know everyone's first thing uh, they do is open that you know, that whatever uh, login they have uh, these days with schools, first thing they'll do look at is the grade book. How does that grade book tell you where your child is? So, so lots of mindset changes. I just hope, Preeti, that with the schools opening and us being in the physical world, these lessons are not forgotten. It's not a bad dream. It's actually a very good reflection point. These are the changes we needed because if 18 million kids are getting out there in industry, Preeti, every year, uh, they're going, 
I, sorry about that. So 18 million people are getting into industry year on year. These children need skills, not knowledge alone. And that's something to reflect on uh, because uh, we're not McDonald's. Our children are not McDonald's burger, you know, on that product line, one burger, every burger is the same. Even the lettuce angle is the same because that's the way the machine is put it. You know what? I like my gourmet burger. I like my burger uh, done in a different way because that's the beauty of, uh, of eating uh, a meal. And think about children being different and thank God for the difference because that actually brings out um, innovation, creation. They question more. They'll change. They'll rewrite rules of the game. My son actually asked me this yesterday, very earnestly. He said, if we have this population problem, okay, in this country, and for years and years, we're talking about it. And he said, people in high-rise buildings will never really understand what, uh, uh, you know, the levels are at that, at that level. And today, when you look at the, the kind of opinionated um, expressions on social media, they're coming from a place of uh, illiteracy. Or, or they, you know, someone's brainwashing them, right? It, it cannot be that people think like that. Uh, and he said, so when does that cycle break? How come the government doesn't do enough to control the population? And I was thinking, you know what? He's still not done his bio homework. It's due tomorrow. But in that conversation with him, Preeti, I just realized it's okay if he doesn't do the bio homework. I want to listen to what he's thinking. He has research. He said, look at what Singapore did. They had the one child policy and they were awarding people who controlled. He said, maybe the government can commit, uh, come out with uh, different layers. You know, people who are qualified, who can afford to have two children, can look after the children, should be allowed to. But those who are in a financial strike should think about family planning. I was like, wow. You know, I mean, if that is what a 15 year old is thinking, we need more of those 15 year olds. And that child is not getting an A plus on that bio paper, I'm telling you. Wow, wow. I think I have so many excerpts from just that one answer that can go. <laughs> oh my God, that's just brilliant, Fatima. And, and I think you encapsulated the problem and the solution for in the for the industry in just that one answer. Um, so many things that really struck me is, uh, first thing was about the open communication between schools and the parents. And you're right, it's not just about during this pandemic, but any schools that have followed open communication and transparency, I believe, are at a much better position because there is the trust that the parents have placed in them. So whether it's about collection of the fees, I believe that the parents who had a problem in terms of disclosed communication are the ones raising their voice. Um, so you're perfectly spot on in terms of talking about the communication part of it. And, and Preeti, I did not talk about the macro bit, which was a big takeaway. Finally, we're talking about public uh, private partnership in a lot more um, uh, a lot more uh, open uh, manner. We are actually saying why can't private education be profitable? Uh, it's like the hospital industry. I mean, you know, just because it's profitable doesn't mean someone's taking away uh, something. I mean, you know, right to education is a fundamental right. But if you want infrastructure, if you want facilities, if you want that caliber of teacher, if you want that quality program, it comes at a price. Someone's, someone's putting a lot of effort and a lot of funds to be able to create that. 
I simply give the example of the, the private and the public hospital. Why are people still going to the private hospitals? Because you're assured of a certain quality. You're willing to pay. Exactly. Then why are you penalizing the private sector because uh, uh, they charge that fee? They didn't hold a gun. You demanded that admission. You worked for that admission. I know how many uh, hours parents have spent to get that. How that they have it, that's not good enough. And, uh, you know, they're making money. You know, this kind of negativity actually affected the children. You know, then managements were taking kids out of class and we messed it up. If the communication was fair to say, this is what I have spent. Uh, I've had, uh, Preeti, I've had friends who've told me, yeah, but kids have not gone to school. So, you know, 50% to banta hi hai. I said, kaise banta hai? Aap restaurant mein jate ho, take, uh, uh, full price pay karte ho, take away ke liye bhi full price pay karte ho. Waan to ASC nahi hota hai. I mean, you know, these sort of, these are educated people who are thinking like that. And if the dialogue is clear, crystal clear, this is my expenditure, this is where I'm spending my money, this is what I need to build a corpus for because I have those plans. I think, you know, any, any level-headed individual will understand. But I don't think those conversations had happened so transparently before. Right, and so I think that's where the <laughs> need to be educated about conscious capitalism. It's not bad to be capitalist. It's about being conscious. It's, it's about whether I'm going to work in a space tomorrow or create an organization tomorrow, which will build the community or is it going to result in harm to the community? And these are the conversations that have to start, like what your son was speaking about at 15 years. I the clarity is mind boggling what he's talking about. So he's thinking about solving the problems that are facing, that he's if, uh, you know, looking at around him. And that I think is the, is the best way to bring up children. I also like what you spoke about the parents, right, uh, where you said that parents have suddenly woken up and they're seeing a different side to their children also. In fact, probably they had not seen that side of learning. Um, and especially about the grade cards and then the, uh, the other word that is used as report cards, right? So I don't know what is there to report about you know, the child hasn't done any mistakes or he, there's no crime to report, right? So I, I abhor the idea of um, report cards and grade cards. And at Tapas, we have gone into formative assessments up to grade seven. So you'll be happy to know that uh, formative assessments are built into the lesson plans itself so while the child is playing while the child is uh, answering to the uh, whatever is the exit slip that is planned for the day the child is giving out how much they have understood about the particular concept about that period of the day etc so there is absolutely no stress and this i see has to be a systemic change like you perfectly pointed out unless this focus on marks and grades comes down, the pressure on the teacher will not come down and hence it's completely cyclical, right? So the teacher continues to push the child where it's not necessary just so that the parents can be pleased. So perfectly said, I think uh, so many points that we again resonate on. So thank you so much for that insight. Um, you've been interacting with teachers over so many years, training them, upskilling teachers. Um, so especially in this period of time, what do you think are the top three skills that teachers should have uh, coming out of the pandemic to survive and just skills that are good to have uh, for the teachers? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, 
Okay, this is very personal. This is my own reflection, not just, uh, you know, what I think the industry uh, is putting out there in terms of top three skills. For me personally, I don't find teachers reading enough, um, doing their own research. Um, Preeti, it is very important to analyze uh, the journey of people, uh, professionals in the corporate world as well. Uh, you do not wait for teacher training workshops. You skill yourself. It's self-initiated. And a lot of that has to do with you reading, uh, you know, having conversations, opening out, um, cross-industry referencing. You evolve. I think our teachers need that uh, ability now, the skill development to say, I'm going to, you know, I, I've analyzed where my weakness is. I'm going to improve on it. Let me just read this up. Let me do it. I'm not waiting for an external factor. I feel that is a key skill. It has to be self-initiated. Um, uh, so for me, that's very important. The research skills are, uh, are, are not as defined as I would like it. We are the educators. It's almost like I wake up an hour early just so that I, I, I pick up on all the relevant articles, uh, whether it's through LinkedIn or you know all the groups that I'm part of. I want to keep abreast of what are the new thoughts that are coming out. We don't have teachers doing enough of that. You know, it's it's almost mechanical. I have to, this is my lesson plan. I'm going to go in and teach. But look at the world news today. The situation has changed. There's a cyclone or there's, you know, there's an issue in Madhya Pradesh. Bring that out into your conversation. You can't if you don't read. It's a big, big part. And, uh, you know, what teachers should be reading. So when you're dishing it out to the kids to say, you know, pick up on those skills, have you done that? And today, thanks to technology, sorry, there's, it's non-negotiable. I, I cannot believe that you cannot dedicate uh, 30 minutes of your day to, uh, to read up. And LinkedIn's a great one uh, uh, to, you know, if teachers are listening, great opportunity. It's all curated. You don't even have to make the effort of researching. If you follow the right groups, you'll be updated and make the effort. That self-initiation and research skill is critical. Uh, technology is non-negotiable, so I'm not even going to get into that. Those teachers that are not going to use gamification, that, that, that are not going to make it more fun, more engaging, more polls, um, you know, it's painful, Preeti. The, the child has done the entire uh, assignment and the teacher has sent it back and saying, no, that's not what I wanted. So then use real-time engagement, right? Today, thanks to Google Sheets and tasks, it's so easy. You're seeing the child is making the mistake. Nip it in, have office hours, dedicate time. You know, this is not to test a child's memory, right? This is to, to, to motivate the child to think, to create. You can only do that if you don't make it a painful list. So gamification, polls, using technology to intervene at the right time to create that differentiation very, very important. And the third skill is um, stop being teachers. You know, stop, stop putting that information down. Start becoming partners. Start thinking of this as a relationship, which also gets you to learn, especially for the middle and high school. It's still more directional based when it's pre-primary and uh, elementary years. Uh, so, you know, depending on the, the court that you work with, you also have to change your strategies. That means you're going to have to start thinking uh, around the clock. Um, 
I, I, you know, can, can I add the fourth skill? Because this is Fatima. She'll always put in the fourth skill. Um, I just feel they need to communicate uh, with more clarity with what their expectations are of children. Through the audits that I've done this year, the teacher wants this, the child has done this, the expectation of the board is something else. It's all a bit of a mess. And in that, the child has landed up shafting because it's shafted because it's, I beg your pardon, because it's online. It's not face-to-face. -face. So please understand without clarity, without direction, without exemplars, without a, uh, uh, giving them, uh, you know, uh, some sort of framework to work with, you've left them alone. And then you're penalizing them for not having done what you wanted to. So I feel that these are things that can be done, implement. And you know, you think Preeti, these are regular skills, right? Why am I even talking about it? But through the audits, I've realized that the basic is what was missing. Forget creativity and innovation, that is, is far away. I'm just saying the core, you know, the foundation has to be now based on trust. You stop teaching, you'll become a friend, you'll become a mentor, you laugh with your kid. This is an example. I must mention this because it's fun. So I watched this kid uh, in a in a uh, you know classroom audit. This teacher said, um, "X Y Z, um, tell me about your perspective about this. Um, you know what is what is the author thinking? The kid hadn't done anything, okay, and he was put in a breakaway room. And I know because the kid had basically switched off his video, and I don't know what he was doing, but he was clearly not in conversation." Uh, he, and he's only heard Gregory's name because Gregory is leading the discussion. So with the teacher, he's saying, uh, you know, actually what would be a good thing would be to get an interesting perspective from Gregory because he was able to curate all the content beautifully. You know, I might just ramble on and waste your time. Why don't you get him in? She has <laughs> burst out laughing because she said, I love the way you defended yourself and I know you haven't done it. And I feel... That way, both the student and the teacher laughed it off. Um, she actually got to read it. I loved her attitude. Read it then and there because he's smart. Clearly, he can defend himself and answer in 10 minutes. So she didn't embarrass him. She did not reprimand him. She had a conversation. She laughed. And I think for that kid, he just needed uh, you know, a bit of steam off. That's it. Now, how do you change this, Preeti, is, can you imagine our traditional teachers? I was just thinking of my math teacher. God bless his soul. He, he would never be able to do this. But that was 30 years ago. I mean, don't you think teachers need to evolve with these kids? And these kids are way smarter. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not even going to get you into saying how they freeze their frame and pretend like they're there. Or they'll get their moms to sign in and say, you know, today we have a bandwidth problem. I love how loyal like all the children have become. I mean, if, if there's one industry that's going to prosper from this is these kids yes. getting into law. Yes. But I think really yes. changing the dynamics of how we teach. I'm not going to, you know, that's very boring. I'm just saying become a friend. Uh, try and see where you need to push and pull. Push, pull. You need to be alert. When you have to, um, when you have to, run the riot act, you will. When you have to put down essential agreements, you will. But give children that space, also depending on the age group, stop patronizing them. I think that's what they, they've asked for. Uh, treat us like individuals and, and I think we will be in partnership then. 
and kids are talking like that. Right. I wish all the BS would follow this, right? I mean, this this becomes the curriculum for all the teacher training that has to happen. <coughs> I remember a few years ago, I had presented a paper on action research in the education industry about how teachers should be doing more research, right? And in fact, it's non-existent when you look at the Indian education industry, uh, again, industry, right? Um, uh, there is nothing that a teacher writes down in reflection. You're, you're right in terms of her doing research about when starting off to uh, starting off the day, thinking about her lesson plans, etc. But there's also no reflection happening on the teacher's side. And I think that will close the loop. If she has started off by researching about what should be done in the classroom, she should also reflect at it at the end of the day. And that's how she closes that loop. And she knows what she needs to read next or he knows what he needs to read next. So, um, but, but Preeti, but then that brings it down, honestly, to the leadership. Then that leadership needs to be inculcating a culture of creation, reflection, um, you know, design thinking, go back to the drawing board, think about it. Also giving your teachers a bit of freedom. But if that leadership is all about, why didn't you put this? Why didn't you put this? This was supposed to be submitted. You've made it mechanical. Right. When you put in mechanics into it, you take away the creativity. And I firmly believe it's the leadership that then percolates um, how, how the teachers. So very well-meaning people also give up saying, she doesn't even care, you know, that I've thought about it, I've rethought. She just wants to see whether it's done, you know, and, and that's not a good sign. That's not professional. So, yeah. Right. So, the thing I like to focus on is about the expertise that the teacher has in terms of understanding where the child is, becoming a friend, becoming a mentor. Um, I wanted to tell you that at Tapas, our teachers are um, experts in the child. When I say that, they are not subject matter experts. Their expertise is oh, the wow. child. And then they move up along with the child each year. So they don't have different teachers uh, for math and science and physics. And wow. But they have one teacher who's going to learn with them and, and they're going to move up along with them. So imagine by the third year, the teacher knows everything about this child. I mean, it's, it's, it's just such a joy to see that in action and, and to see how the child will feel welcomed, will have the trust and uh, all the benefits of having the teacher move along with them. Of course, it could have some... And without the child talking also, the teacher senses the pulse. Okay, this one, this day, today I'm not going to reprimand this child because today this child is already broken. You know, these are soft, these are so crucial. I mean, we talk about social emotional learning as this buzzword. That's the basis of child psychology. I mean, that's the basis of a mother loving a child. It's unconditional, but you've also grown with the child. It's not like you knew how your child's uh, journey would evolve, right? You watch, you see, you observe. Um, I, I love the concept of uh, a teacher moving with the child. I mean, this used to happen. Um, in my mom's time, in, in, in I, and I went to the same school, um, and I know how much uh, it has helped her. She and I are very different individuals. She was the naughty one, I was the geek. Okay. So, um, but, you know, she was the just about 35. I could not even think that I could only get a 30. I mean, mine was the 90s. So, but she she's learned so many skills thanks to the teacher. So great, uh, I mean, credit to you, Preeti, this is brilliant. I'd love to emulate this model somewhere else. Mm -hmm. 
and I think keeping this uh, group size smaller is going to allow us to do that and that's what consciously we are practicing and the third thing you said about gamification right uh, so I, I believe that the way forward is experiential learning and this word has featured again and again in the national education policy and uh, so a couple of words that excite me about the policy first is that the word play has come in a national policy mm -hmm. document so I was so excited about it second is about multidisciplinary learning and third is experiential learning so these three things at a policy level they've got it right so my question to you is how can we ensure that this is implemented in the schools going forward? And what do you think are going to be the top three challenges uh, in, in implementing these buzzwords, so-called buzzwords in our schools going forward? So, you know, the policy document has a lot of uh, 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 interesting ideas which have been reflected from a lot of the international, uh, um, uh, you know, curriculums. This is what the International Baccalaureate or the Cambridge have been talking uh, about forever. Uh, and it's always linked to assessments. So, so Preeti, for me, um, you know, it's great to teach with uh, transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary. Uh, uh, you know, I'll get to the terminology a bit later, but the first point is it's great to do all this, but then our assessments also have to feature that. So for me, the challenge is going to be at the national for the national curriculum in particular, because if that continues to be, you know, question answer and leaves out the creativity, you're again McDonaldizing it. Um, so so this approach will lead to frustration for the kid because there's so much in there, there's so much the child has, but the outcome eventually is that, and you're being graded for those questions. You're not being graded for your creativity. So. Somewhere, I feel that needs to also be uh, addressed. Uh, and I think the academic boards should look at it. I mean, everything, so you, you've looked at the international curriculum, you might as well look at assessments and big onus on uh, national curriculum. I know CBSE is off the mark already. Uh, actually, CBSE was the first one who came out with their uh, primary and secondary syllabus to try and match it to the NEP. So it's, it's work, uh, but I still see that as a challenge. Because unless the assessment is corrected, this will not work out. True. This will just then be, you know, just let, let them just play for half an hour and, you know, give them some blocks and some art and, you know, that's fine. It has to be structured. You have to have the STEAM education. You have to, you have to talk about it as problem solving, like we started off the conversation, not about content delivery. And when you are addressing a problem, you're linking all subject areas to it. It's going to lead to more hands-on learning. So that so, so one assessment should be. Uh, what I feel is going to be a big challenge, Preeti, is um, what the national education policy has spoken about. Teacher uh, education, teacher recruitment, and then teacher skilling. These three have to go. But Preeti, there are too many uh, smaller and that exist. I mean, no disrespect to anyone, but somewhere there has to be an, uh, you know, an accreditation to some sort of regulatory body that is that is certifying who is training the teachers as well, because this will get lost in translation very easily. Um, you know, people will then get tempted to do it cheaper, and when you do it cheaper, it is peripheral. It's not deeper learning. And I see that as a big problem. 
we've seen that previously as well when there were 50 hours for professional training we know what those 50 hours landed up being not really skilling just to put those workshops in so i i worry that we'll take shortcuts uh, to uh, to try and uh, get it done in the time and the budget that we have. And that I see is a big thing. I think teacher training continues to be the least uh, um, uh, remunerated uh, uh, industry and more importantly, part of the industry. And as far as school budgets are concerned, it's the lowest in the pecking order. Um, so unless that changes, you're not going to get quality uh, educators to to uh, pass on the knowledge, and you're never going to then uh, be able to live up to quality benchmark. So this whole vision document remains a vision document because it's all on the face. Uh, and lastly, um, I think we're going to have to um, rethink about the kind of content that is being uh, 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 expected out of the child to learn. Okay, and um, you know, up to grade seven, I still feel principals are in a position. To, to, to talk about negotiables and non-negotiables. I mean, non-negotiables are ones that lead to scaffolding. I mean, without understanding uh, basic principles of pre-math and math, I cannot take on quadratic and I cannot get on to linear equations. So those are non-negotiables, but do we have to do everything at grade two? Do we have to do everything at grade three because that school is doing it and that school is doing it? And because parents come and show me, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, question papers from this school and that school, I think we need to take a few more risks for the sake of our children. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure the leadership uh, is at the moment, um, you know, so progressive. Um, they, they're restrained by the management, they're restrained by board expectations and parent expectations. So I see, again, uh, people taking the traditional path and playing it safe. You can't play it safe. You've got to get out of that box and stand and defend um, you know, what you believe in and what you think is right. Plus, every year, Preeti, the children change. I mean, you've got to be modifying your curriculum and I cannot for the life of me understand how something that was taught last year continues to be taught this year, but your, your cohort of children have changed. Their levels have changed. Where is the pre-assessment? So, Preeti, I see certain implementable problems I'm not saying that there are no solutions to it. I just feel managements need to be progressive, put a bit more money and a price on teacher training, invest in that. Don't think your teachers will run away if you skill them. If they run away, find someone else who'll stay with you or then do a better job uh, for retaining them. So, you know, this argument that no, no, we'll spend and they'll go away. We need to get out of those things. But if we've got to grow uh, as an organization or as a country and we have to do good things, you've got to put take some risks and you've got to start thinking uh, with more confidence and uh, for the sake of that child. He cannot be doing what he's doing currently, at least in the national curriculum schools. Absolutely. I love what you said. I love what you said about if, if you train them and they leave, I think uh, this is a forward I've read. Uh, what if they don't? <laughs> what if you don't train them and they stay, right? And that's the bigger problem to have. So uh, you're right, I think. Uh, and in terms of training, I think that there has to be a public you know, partnership with the private so that it, uh, the quality gets, it's not retained by the elite few and it kind of gets uh, 
spread all across. So there is a scope for a lot of public-private partnerships, especially when it comes to training. So I hope um, the boards will utilize that, especially the state boards and the government-run schools are going to utilize the vast um, uh, group of private schools who can afford this kind of training. And right, like you said, um, training has to be at the top of the pecking order. I cannot stress enough on how much the teachers require hand-holding, especially in, in a time like this. It's not just the VUCA world that they are operating in today, but it's also the NEP that is getting implemented. So I think it's a double whammy for when it comes to teachers. They need all the support that they can get. And, and, and Preeti, just, you know, I mean, I'm being a bit compassionate to those teachers who've told me, but I've taught like this for 17 years, Fatima, and I've delivered. Right. And my kids have done well, and someone's in uh, MIT, and someone's in Stanford. And I have to tell her, ma'am, but that happened 20 years ago. Your MIT and all, and they were genuinely intelligent children who had an innate. I'm more worried about the happy-go-lucky, and uh, you know, I'm not even worried about the, the ones who need support because they'll get uh, special educators to help, or the bright ones who'll find their way. You know, there's this nice, big, happy-go-lucky bunch who don't know any better, don't care any better, but need an inspiration. But ma'am, if you constantly give them a passage and you're asking them subject, predicate, now find the pronouns, I am bored after 45 minutes because I said, I can't do this anymore. Can you not make it fun? Can you not just get them uh, to write something and circle their own pronouns and give it to you? Why are you doing this over five periods? You know, it, she, she took a step back and she said, you know, young lady, I'm older than you. I've had more years of experience than you. So I said, but ma'am, I might just be part of that future that you want to also be a part of. But it's this dialogue, you know? So I said, and I so she said, show it to me. And I took class and the kids were jumping and, you know, we, we used uh, a Kahoot. And then suddenly she said, okay, I want to learn this now. Because she realized the reactive nature of children. Uh, she got it done. Uh, we got it done in 45 minutes. She had taken three periods for it. Um, so, you know, there was time lost. And I said, you could have read to them because I know your literature is the weakest one. But you know what? This requires time, effort. Your leadership needs to be strong on it. You also then need quality trainers. Like I said, this is not the job. This is not a cut and paste. Preeti, there's enough on, online. You Google, you'll find it. You can find anything and put it together a presentation. Can you break it down in, in their lesson plan? Like you would, because you run tapas, you know what you're doing. Uh, so I'm a bit worried about who's going to train. I'm actually very worried. <laughs> yes. yes, that's a big conversation that we should have about who are the trainers? Are they good enough? And uh, are they really getting the right message out there? So. Uh, that's great. So thank you so much for that. And I know that we have a lot of questions that we had written down, but this conversation is so interesting. I just couldn't stop you in between that. Um, so with ACE that you have started the Agarkar Center for Excellence, and there's a focus on sports, right? So I'd like to, like to ask you of you that uh, typically sports is considered as a hobby. And it's something that people say, okay, for staying fit, I'm going to play sports. But apart from this obvious physical benefit, what are some other benefits of playing sports? I mean, I know this is close to your heart, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and um, 
Preeti, I'm going to start off by also saying that the national education policy has uh, emphasized an entire section on co-curriculars. It's not just sport, it's creative arts, it's performing arts, like theater, et cetera, which is uh, what they call uh, alternative, um, but very crucial skills. And if I can quote, uh, um, uh, you know, the director of economics, um, um, uh, you know, Minosh um, Shafiq, I follow her a lot. And one of the things she simply says is uh, anything that will be, uh, can be replicated will be automated. So now think educators, what are you gonna do? And that's when all these skilled co-curriculars come into play. Uh, you know, your creative arts, art, performing arts and sport uh, is a big part of it. What's exciting is um, with the pandemic, with the national education policy, there's already a discussion on actually certifying children at the end of grade 10 who want to specialize in sport. That means for once in our country, our uh, cricket loving country, we are thinking about sport uh, as an actual career. This is happening in Australia. This is happening in South Africa. Uh, this is happening in England. Uh, do you know Adele actually went to a music school that only specialized in music, but she has a GCSE as well. Okay. So what happens yeah. is they have these specialized schools that allow a child to pursue the passion. Now, putting into context of just mainstream schools where there's no specialization, sport is not just physical. Uh, well, the pandemic has taught all of us that physical fitness is non-negotiable. Again, negotiable, non-negotiable. Whatever age group you are in, uh, you can only battle uh, the health crisis if you are physically fit. So that's the obvious one, right? <clears throat> Not everyone will go on, uh, go on to represent the country, but there are enough leagues today that are emerging that you can actually think of it as a lucrative career. And if I can actually tell parents that if, if I look at the employment uh, data that has come out of uh, you know, in the last three months, um, uh, the jobs uh, you know, that are available, be it sports management, media in sports, uh, social marketing uh, with sports, et cetera, uh, lots of careers. I mean, you still have to be a sportsman to be able to understand any of that. Um, starting salaries, very competitive or along the lines of an MBA. So, you know, these are careers that are now monetized as well. So before it was only if I'm good playing, I can, you know, make it a career. But now it's about so many other avenues related to sport. More than that, if we talk about cognitive development, you know, your ability to think, analyze, evaluate, uh, figure things out. Uh, that's a big part of computational thinking. That's really what industry wants. They want thinkers, right? They want, they want people who can do this independently. Sport is one big platform for that. In fact, I've just written an article for Deccan Herald on uh, uh, Deccan Chronicle, sorry, uh, for the same, um, which is basically talking about how sport involves either individual or team uh, sports, involves decision-making, time management, discipline, um, you know, um, commitment. You, you, you throw a tantrum, you're off the field. It involves communication skills because at any point of time, you're dealing with different abilities. Uh, it involves uh, a lot of um, self-initiation. When I say discipline, no one can push you. It's only you who can push yourself. So these are important life skills that sports brings to you. 
every time a parent complains to me that my son doesn't listen, I said, you know what? Let him play a sport. Let him be. Uh, let him uh, train under someone. You see how they're following instructions um, beautifully. Because there's no frill to it. There's no pampering. This is it. You got to do it if you want to do it. No one's forcing you to do it. And they adapt so beautifully. Why are they getting up at five in the morning and going for football? Why don't they get up at five in the morning and want to go to school? So you've got to understand sport creates a lot of opportunities. More than that, I am still very concerned that in our country, we are going, we are the next in line for the most obese children in the world by 20. Uh, uh, 2030. That's the statistic out there. Also, children with learning difficulties will find sports orientation helps them. Therapists have recommended it. Um, you know, quite frankly, we're all extremely fatigued, extremely stressed. We're housebound. There's been no social contact. If there are avenues for fitness, uh, it's also got to do with mental health and conditioning. You will be able to um, regulate those emotions. So in that sense, for me, sport is school in itself. And uh, I've just told you that it's going to be a monetized career, much more than your traditional careers. And anything that can be uh, duplicated will be automated. So your traditional careers are going to be automated. So which are the ones that are going to actually then be challenging are the ones that have specialization. Sport is one of them. So parents, I think you need to think about sport is recreation for sure. But if your child shows a talent, is inclined, uh, please don't give it up on the, in, on the years that matter, which is ninth and 10th. Uh, incidentally, Preeti, a very dear friend, a sportsman's wife, her son and mine are the same age. Um, she said, you know, he's very good with cricket. What about yours? I said, no, no, he's decided to become a businessman, not a cricketer. So she said, no, I'm not sure. You know, now it's board exams. I said, a cricketer's wife talking like that. So she said, no, but you know, Again, a South Indian couple, um, she said, yeah, but there is pressure, right? I mean, eventually you don't know whether he's going to make it or not, but at least marks help. So I said, if we start thinking along those lines, we'll never be able to take risks ourselves. We'll never have the Virat Kohli's of the world because we haven't allowed them to express themselves. So I'm gonna say parents, um, be brave. Uh, you know, and I always tell my in-laws, I love the fact that you didn't want Ajit to be an engineer you encouraged him to be a cricketer and you allowed him to. So, and he always talks about sport as being his only life lesson. So uh, maybe maybe all the CEOs of um, uh, that have, are successful, if you trace their uh, journey, Preeti, they're all sportsmen. The top CEOs that have emerged from the pandemic. They've had sport in some form that has been instrumental in their decision-making ability as well. So I think we need to think about sport as education, not as a physical engagement. Absolutely. So I remember uh, my school days, I played every sport that there was. I was the uh -huh. vice captain basketball team, captain of my hockey team. I played table tennis. I played and I represented a, a basketball team at, uh, at the state level. So, and I believe I personally feel more equipped today as a leader than I would have otherwise. Or I see my friends from school, believe the lessons that these sports have taught me are so valuable for me in today's life. I also um, 
Preeti, you know, also what happens is now that the world is opening up, you have all these football leagues, uh, you know, badminton leagues, uh, hockey leagues, which are going outside the country. So these young kids are getting exposed to travel and go, um, you know, and compete. So I know my nephew is very, very good with football and he wanted to pursue it uh, professionally, but because of injury, he didn't. And he spent a month in Barcelona and he said, Gigi, uh, what it's taught me is that I had no idea what that guy was speaking to me, uh, you know, when we were actually arguing about a foul. But it's just, you pick up, you understand, and you you learned to cope and you find a way to communicate to say, guy, you know, back off. I wasn't trying to foul you. He said, it just taught me, he's a very shy kid. It just taught me that uh, uh, you can be confident, but it's the exposure. Preeti, you are blessed to be able to play all the sports. I was one of them uh, in the books. You know, my nose, like sports day used to come and I always had a stomach upset because I was never good. But the school never encouraged never good kids. Now, had I been taken into a chess, so what if I was not good at outdoor? Maybe I was, you know, involved me in indoor. Think about sport not just being a physical outdoor thing. There are so many indoor sports. And today, esports is also one of the big industries. So, pretty the, the sheer confidence the exposure brings is what parents forget. Um, so, when people say, you know, my kid is shy, doesn't open up, watch them. You'll see how amazing they are when they're left alone and when no one is judging them. Right. So, uh, about sports not being just about going outdoors and playing there, right? So, it's also about how it's part of our daily life. And so, I Tapas again, uh, I mean, I'm so proud that it's a, it's curricular. It's not co-curricular, extracurricular, it's curricular. So, if I have to say, for example, teach concept of main, median, mode, I get the children out on the playground, get them to line up as per their date of birth or, uh, you know, their age, height, whatever, line up and then talk about mean, median mode. Where is the mean? Where is the mm -hmm. mode? How are we doing it? So get them out on a field and do it. So it's really internalizing these concepts without having to, you know, um, without having to sit in front of the board and or an AV room and, and yeah. understanding it with my body. So sports can take up many shapes. The other thing you mentioned was about... Um, even math skills like IPL, run rates, etc. You know, percentages, kids hate when you give them those word problems. You get them to figure out the run rate. You get them to figure out probability. You get them to figure out. It happens so seamlessly. Why do we make it? I don't know why Tom and Jerry have to have a percentage. Why can't it just be a cricket match or a football match? You know? exactly. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So the other thing about this generation, I feel, is that uh, when you spoke of obesity, I think the other uh, big complication I see is that their proprioceptive sense and their vestibular senses are being affected terribly because they are sitting very often. And as you know, sitting is the new smoking. Obviously, it's causing a lot more damage to our bodies than anything else. So, it, 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 I, I, you know, at Tapas, we have consciously made sure that children are not spending too much time in the classroom and they're out and about playing a lot more. Um, and uh, we're very conscious that their vestibular and proprioceptive senses have to be developed because that's the critical age when uh, it cannot be missed out on. So um, I'm excited to see how the sports education will pan out. And uh, that's a mm. conversation that we will have 
a lot more during the next few years. Um, so the final question is that this year, we've unfortunately been indoors quite a lot and we've not had the yeah. opportunities to play team sports, especially as much as previously. So do you think this will have any long-term impact? Do you think that uh, coming out of the pandemic, we should do more of it? What is your recommendation? Um, yeah, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about as educators, uh, um, you know, we are going to have to think about the, the children um, and their mental health. Um, their, uh, I call it the transition phase, where we're going to have to ease them into it. It cannot be what it was pre-pandemic. You can't push them in because uh, they haven't had that physical interface. Some of them may be meeting in smaller cohorts, but as as you know, as a team sport, etc., it takes time. I'm just going to give you an example of when the IPL happened and. Basically, cricket is the first thing that really kick-started. I mean, whether it was in England and then uh, in Dubai when the teams came in, um, you know, with the bio bubbles where they have to quarantine for 14 days and then go on to practice, it does take a bit of time. So we're gonna we're going to see a little bit of uh, uh, transitioning. Uh, you know, we're going to have to be a little more patient. Uh, but I think the individual fitness levels children have been practicing. Uh, you know, they've been using staircases or cycling or doing it individually. So their fitness levels, Preeti, have actually been pretty good. Now it's all coming together and working out the dynamics of, you know, how we fit in in different roles as a team. Uh, therefore, a lot more emphasis on match playing, team, um, you know, uh, games, team bonding. And that is all, not only for mental health, because, you know, it, it's, it's a little unfamiliar suddenly when you're meeting your 30 kids. I mean, you haven't had any interface for so long. So imagine, uh, I mean, well, my reaction, uh, uh, you know, when I met a few people during that little lockdown time that we had, was also a, a case of going back a bit and working out, you know, how do I do this? So imagine a child, but children are a lot more resilient than we are. We carry a lot more reservation than they do. So planned simulations, planned, uh, uh, you know, team building exercises, planned activities, solely focused on that. If academics can follow, that's great. But I think this is very important to bring their normalcy back. And it cannot just happen. You can't just say now they're expected to start talking. It is unfamiliar. You're still worried. So you're going to have to plan it in safe bubbles and smaller cohorts and ease them into it, a period of transition. Um, like I said, I'm okay to do two less math concepts, but this is this is critical. This is the bonding that we need. Super, I think that's that's the understanding how to bring children back in and to use sports as a means of giving them the opportunity to settle in. That's a great takeaway for me. So thank you so much. Um, so it's been a- And also remember Preeti, you know, sport when played outdoor is safer than getting them in back into the classrooms with, with our ventilation, etc. So a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, scientists, researchers have suggested anything that you do outdoors, even if learning can ha happen outdoors. And Tapas is anyway doing that, right? You're bringing in math uh, uh, in, the, uh, in that space. But what I'm trying to say is that you'll have to structure the, I mean, you, all of us will have to structure activities and actually create them as lesson plans, right. planned uh, uh, 
team building exercises i think that should be the the you know the goal uh, for them at least for 3 months when we transition them back into the physical world so uh, another interesting thing about purpose i wanted to let you know that each of our environments or the classrooms have a bit of an indoor and an outdoor so each space opens up to a little bit so 30% of that uh, classroom space is outdoors so the ventilation is fantastic children can choose to oh, sit, wow. sit in the sun and work or they can choose to sit inside and work so it's it's exciting to be uh, having that space especially because like you said it's so much safer and and i think uh, we uh, we are an indoor generation and we are living in so much of pollution our own creative pollution right so, since we are indoor so i think uh, we are trying trying to solve all those problems because the biggest chunk of time the child is spending away from home is at school and so that's what we've created at purpose uh, so just excited that i can share that with you <laughs> that's amazing yes. so uh, fatima i know we can go on for hours Uh, we've already spoken for more than an hour now and i'm sure oh, that really? yes the time just flew and i'm like so happy that we can uh, we could talk, get this insight from you i'm sure that this will be very well received thank you so much for spending time with us giving us your insights uh, we would love to have you connect with you more often to just have these conversations that are insightful and yet it leaves a question in the uh, listeners minds about how can i be better so Thank you for being inspiring. Thank you for coming on this show. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Preeti. Like I said, it's it's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you. Um, you know, we have sorry, always a pleasure to be in conversation with you. We have plenty in common, and I'm going to take you up on the offer of having more conversations. <laughs> I'd love Thank that. Bye bye. Bye bye.